This is the Rev Thinking Podcast. Insights and conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. So I got my career started off at a nonprofit called Invisible Children, which like is a name that lives in infamy to some people yeah. because they launched this massive campaign called Coney 2012. It was a genius campaign. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was at the time, it was the first YouTube video to like get a hundred million views in a five day period. And the content was like 30 minutes long. And then like kicked off the critique of slacktivism. But what like a lot of people don't know is that Invisible Children had been around for close to a decade before that, producing campaigns on a quarterly basis with films, merch, like really amazingly integrated campaigns for building up activism to solve a crisis in Uganda. And so like I learned the power of storytelling and the power of the moving image as a, like a catalyst for change and activation in people. And along the road, I was just reading tons and tons and tons of TechCrunch, right? I was, I think, 19, 20 years old. And I was going, oh my gosh, the future is in Silicon Valley. Like that's, <laughs> that's the new Hollywood, right? Like I got to get there. And so, yeah. I Cameron, I think you and I have like a like a similar core with that, where what you've discovered when you're kind of in the trenches of production was it felt like something else was happening in San Francisco area and you're kind of in the Los Angeles area. Um, but also just the evolution of technology was at our fingertips, wasn't it? Like our lives became easier if we grabbed an Excel sheet and did it opposed to or knew how to write code inside of Excel sheets to make our life easier. I was a big fan of like FileMaker Pro. I was a big FileMaker Pro integrator, developer, and was early on writing like software for visual effects companies. For the, you know, mm. our, a bunch of my friends went to make uh, Independence Day and they needed wow. a, a tracking software. So me and one of my buddies like spent, you know, four and a half weeks at night making software tracking for Independence Day. And I, what's funny is, is I didn't realize I was writing software. I thought I was just helping my friend produce <laughs> you know it was really yeah but it's a great moment to like dive in the great integration between technology tools and making creative projects like you really were producing by coding and i think that's an interesting thing and i think that that is going to continue to happen that actually producing and using and developing software is a part of it i mean like if you look at what's happening in hollywood right now with these uh what are the the the, the new background where they have the like high definition the volume like the volume is at the cutting edge of computer science and people are programming these things and it's radically transforming the ability to tell stories through the moving image and so like, computer science and cinema and storytelling they're all becoming one thing just like an echo of our own civilization's desire to tell its story to itself you know it's amazing you know so one thing I, I have a saying that says technology follows technique right so the thought there is is that you already know what you're doing or, or trying to accomplish so in your production pipeline you get the pipeline that you have technology just speeds that up it makes it more efficient so that efficiency is what we desire and then there are, at some point it becomes an evolution of something completely different and in that evolution mm -hmm. you've changed the behavior of the people that are using the software or are in that pipeline. And I like I find that part really curious. As a consultant, you know, that we integrate software and 
have conversations with people and often pull people back from you know, getting on board with certain systems thinking, oh, this piece of software is going to solve all my problems. Like, no, 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 that doesn't solve your problems. You have to have your team and your operation working and the software integrates in, into that. Or the software can inform some of the insights you gain when you're working with, a, with your team. But it's really uh, that efficiency is, I think, what we first desire. And then the next one, as is, is you're pointing out, is that evolution that makes something completely brand new. And that's amazing in a fast-paced, competitive marketplace. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I read this fascinating book this last year. It was my favorite book of the year. Uh, it's an old book, but it's called The Dream Machine. And it's about this guy named J.C.R. Licklider. Who was J.C.R. Licklider. His friends used to call him Lick. That's awesome. I love that. And he wrote, this, he wrote this memo on human-computer symbiosis. And he had this incredible vision of a world, but this is before the personal computer. This is before the internet. He had this vision very, very early on about how human beings could interact with feedback-oriented machines, aka computers, and absolutely transform our ability to be human. And actually work with machines to obliterate the tedium that really allows human imagination and creativity to speed up, make work happen. And this guy, he didn't just think about this. He went and got a job at ARPA, right. which is now known as DARPA. And he went and he funded all of the most important researchers. And this led to the internet, the ARPANET, which then turned into the consumer internet. And he also funded a bunch of incredible computer scientists that ultimately culminated in the Xerox PARC uh, experimental laboratory, which brought together all of these phenomenal people who Absolutely. invented the personal And the mouse computer. and the, the printer and everything that we use today, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, there's also this other amazing computer scientist and thinker who did something for people listening, like, look up the mother of all demos. This was the first time that the mouse was introduced or the desktop was introduced or like interactive software was introduced and it totally blew everyone's mind. And we are all subject to some of those really interesting ideas from way back when. So this is this amazing process of evolution that's gotten us to now. And like, when I think about like my opportunity and my privilege to build software that kind of accelerates people's opportunity to like, tell stories and, and, and bring these tools into their workflow. It just, it's an incredible privilege. And I feel like I get to be a small part of kind of this much wider and interesting story. Like when I was a teenager, I remember getting chills just thinking about the internet. Like we invented fire and we're still at the very beginning of it. Like we're at the very beginning. Oh, I, one thing I'm hearing that I love is the two of you come from what I'll call the production ingredient. Right. And I think back to my days when I was running a business and as you said, Cameron, very passionate about being that creative and producing amazing content and telling stories and all this kind of stuff. But then I was also running a business and I had clients. So I was always living on that boundary of, yeah, there's this creative ingredient, but there's also this production ingredient. And there's also this thing called finance and all that goes with that. And what you, what you learn, of course, is that to really be great as a creative and a person who wants to tell these stories, 
your business becomes a means to an end to enable that mm. and to empower it. But thank mm -hmm. God, thank God there are people like you because what you do in that production ingredient is not me. It's just not my nature. It's not my jam. I am the world's like worst producer, Tim, you and I dubbed myself that last night. <laughs> I was the world's <laughs> worst producer. Uh, of course I was the ter terrible at bookkeeping and all the legal and finances and stuff. So thank goodness people like you come alongside people like me and together we create this really beautiful synergy. Yeah, Joe, we talk about this all the time, but you know, like producers have the opportunity to be creative in the details. So it's diving into the details of where all the opportunities oh, yeah. are. And also when you're doing it well, you're recognizing those details are where you create engagement. So it's where you engage the creative people or engage clients or great engage a studio, you know, whoever you're working with. And it's kind of the producer's responsibility to track all those details. So something like technology, I felt just opens us up to those finer details. And when you get to see that and gain efficiency and putting and mapping all those details together is where like software just pushes you to a higher level of skill and opportunity and to be creative. It's, it sounds funny how creative you can, I feel by working with a spreadsheet when other people feel creative when they're working with After Effects. Absolutely. I think like let's optimize human beings' creative intelligence and then let's optimize and use uh, like computers' process intelligence and let's mash them together and then amplify our ability to do interesting things in the world. Like, I'm not the best producer by any means, and I'm not even the best, like, Excel producer. <laughs> like, I just find some ideas super interesting and want to, like, explore them, you know? And that has kind of been my career, is, is sniffing out interesting ideas and going for them. It's like what we were talking about at the beginning. Like, my career was I could tell that stories were powerful. I could tell that the internet was amazing because you could immediately distribute your stories and if your ideas and stories were interesting enough people would kind of come around them and it was like wow this is happening in silicon valley these interesting ideas are being codified and launched into the world incredible distribution network through the internet like i gotta get up there and so i didn't know any programmers though i knew film editors and i knew that these software companies wanted to tell their story so with a thousand dollars between the three of us, me and my co-founders, it's a production company called Sprinkle Lab. It's still operational, non-union commercial shop. They do some like music videos, commercials, like cool projects. It's still around awesome, awesome people over there. They're like my family still to this day. But we started with a thousand bucks between three co-founders, moved to Silicon Valley, and then just started emailing people being like, hey, can we do a demo video for you? Uh, can we talk to you? And that was how we got started. And then all along the way, you have to figure out QuickBooks. You've got to figure out invoicing. You've got to figure out time tracking. You've got to figure out how much should we charge our clients yeah. for a project. You know, maybe this will make your listeners cringe. Like when we first started, <laughs> we would ask our clients to pay us 25% up front. And then like once we got a quarter done with the project, pay us another 25%. And then like once we deliver 25% and then 30 days after that, give us another, 20, like just totally insane things because we just didn't understand the way to do it. And so it just took time and we, there was no RevThink community that I could find at the time. I didn't know where to start. 
So a kind of a hilarious process. It reminds me, uh, I have a friend who started a piece of software. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And I met these guys. Yeah, I met these guys again in late 90s because they had called me to do FileMaker stuff. Um, and when they were just kind of getting WireDrive off the ground, it wasn't called WireDrive. They were building websites for people. And then that was always the back engine they were using for the websites. And very much the idea of like, well, I don't know, how about like 1500 bucks? And I kind of build this entire back end for your website or whatever it was. And then that, you know, this huge, like amazing, you know, CRM engines are being put behind, you know, something you update once a quarter, once, you know, once a few weeks, and then it converted. So Cameron, what did you start wanting to get into production? Like Hollywood, did you know what a producer was or? you know, know what you wanted I, to do or did you kind of just get lucky and someone dragged you off the, off the street and gave you a job one day? How did it, where's your origins there? <laughs> well, for everyone that's listening to this, uh, we would all question if we, if it's lucky to be pulled into being a producer uh, or, or a great curse <laughs> right. that we love to, to, to wrestle with. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of comes back to this, story that I was living, which was like, I saw the power of stories. I, I saw the power of Silicon Valley and codifying processes and building applications. And I wanted to be a part of that. And so... So did you start with wanting to be a software developer and then got into production? Or did you get into production and then realize there's opportunity for software? I Honestly, I, both at the same time. Like it... It yeah. was for us, for me and my co-founders, it was like, let's, we were young, young. We just want, all wanted to move away from our, like, clo- from our close family. We were all in San Diego. So we just drove a car up to San Francisco and Oakland area. And um, I wanted to do a software company, but again, I just didn't know how to break in. But we did know how to like edit video and we did know how to get DSLRs and just start selling ideas to people and then making them happen with their money, right? Like the great thing about production at the early stage is like, look, here's some pretty pictures. We'll make these move for you. Give us a budget. We're going to make it happen for you. So it was like a a great way for first-time entrepreneurs to just get going, you know? And we just started sending emails to people. Yeah. And then I bet something happened, right? When did when did things get messy? <laughs> immediately, <laughs> <laughs> right? Things were immediately messy. I mean, like, to, to our first production, like somebody called us and they were like, "Hey, show up!" Like we didn't know that there was rental houses. We didn't know anything. We didn't know we needed insurance. We didn't know anything. Net, like we started at zero and had to figure out how to get to one. <clears throat> and um. When I say that, by the way, there's this idea in Silicon Valley called going zero to one from nothing to something or like creatio ex nilo. Like there's something very special that happens when you go from zero to one. And once you get to one, you can get to 1.1 and 1.2. But that, 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 that gap between zero to one is very challenging. I think everyone kind of gets that. Yeah, it's, it's almost like infinity from zero means from nothing at all to create something from nothing is nearly a, like a, I always think of it in ROI. It's an ROI of infinity. You've put nothing into it and you start to get anything out of it. It's an, it's an incredible yeah. jump. 
and then to be able to kind of retain that or maintain that in, to some degree through a production pipeline or a continual development team is awesome. Like you just keep pushing yourself forward. And it can also be the scariest part. I feel like we're all pretty good at optimizing things. And so like to answer your question, Joel, it was immediately messy. So the story is, is like, we start up, we borrow money from my buddy John's dad to get a computer and one DSLR camera. We get a job just from sending out emails and we need two cameras so that we can get coverage on this shot. We don't have any money. So we go to Best Buy, buy a camera with money we don't have, do the shoot and return the camera the next day. <laughs> like, you know, awesome. we didn't know how to like get, we didn't have enough time to get like a lavalier. So we went to garage or we went to a guitar center and bought one and then returned it. And then we, cause we didn't realize that down the street from us was like rental houses that you could rent this stuff from for the, for the business. Right. <laughs> so uh, it was immediate chaos, but it did get us from nothing to something. And once you have something, you can start focusing on making it more efficient and better. And, and that was really our process. And, you know, we were just talking about this, but like you can divide labor between your smart coworkers, your smart co-founders, your smart software and it's really going from human computation on the, the like operation side using computers to compute. And when I say that, I mean like, you know, accounting used to be done by people with pencils and big books. And now you can do it with software. It makes you a lot faster. And I didn't have to edit the videos. My co-founder, John Smith, was an amazing editor. And they didn't have to worry about insurance because uh, I'm a dork. And I thought, this is annoying. Let me figure this out, you know? And, uh, and that was how we really got started. So kicking off was scary, but then once you're on your way, you can really start thinking about how to optimize the processes and get going. I'm thinking back to some of the productions where when I was running a production company and we would do a commercial spot and there's these issues of scale that come into play, right? Where, because you talked about the just hustling and getting a DSLR and a lavalier microphone and, and you make that <laughs> project and then you invoice for it and you get paid and then you start realizing, oh, wait a minute, there is these, this thing called insurance and I need to, need to pay people and I need to account for all these things. Then when you one day, like me, you wake up and you're doing a $750,000 commercial totally for a major corporation, I mean, just the paperwork, we were using computers as much as we could, but we would still have these giant three ring binders of massive amounts of information that trust me, I, all I knew was that stuff's all important. And I'm glad you guys are figuring that out. But the issues of scale, when you get to that level, it's no longer like the pencil and paper breaks down, even your traditional Excel spreadsheet, like you talk about, Tim, even th those things start to break down because there's just so much coming at you and you have to make decisions so quickly and you want to make the right ones because the stakes are high, right? If you, if you don't plan for uh, your contingency day and it rains and you're doing a half million dollar shoot, you've got, well, or like my story of getting the film being x-rayed, right? As it goes through the, the oh my goodness. yeah. And, and now I'm on the hook for $125,000 reshoot. I mean, there, there's all kinds of issues that we could get into. Did but, you have insurance for that, Joel? Yes. And what I'll say is, you know, the reason that the, the, our insurance policy didn't cover it technically, but because they failed to send us that notice by certified mail, 
they had to pay us one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Wow! wow. That's By the so, skin of your teeth. It, but it gives you a sense, yeah. right? And I and I'm curious for, to hear from you, Cameron. It gives you you a sense of this is what's at stake. Like we want to tell stories, we want to run healthy businesses. It's all well and good, but here are some of the obstacles we have to overcome. And that sounds like you're helping solve that. Like you're trying to empower storytellers to get through the production and operational pieces of this. Absolutely. I mean, I have a very similar story to yours on the insurance side of things. Like, so like I, I basically, I just told the story of like our first production, like go get the DSLR, go figure it out. But you're right. Like once you've gone from zero to one and you're really committed to building something, things change and and oftentimes they become more complex and you get bigger and bigger budgets and that's what happened for us and you start learning i think one of the things for us at spring club that really was helpful was i did not have a dream to be spielberg i just kind of wanted to figure out how to run an interesting business and so what this enabled us to do was whenever we would get a job we would go try to find crew members who'd been there, done that, and plug them in. And when you start releasing your control to other people who have been in the business a long time and enabling them to help you to make your client's project better, you learn so much. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you the first time we got like a true senior AD on our set. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's how that works. Like, <laughs> got it. You're, you get an amazing director of photographer and you see like, oh my gosh, like this makes our production go from going 20 miles an hour to a thousand miles an hour. We, uh, we were able to work with this amazing DP at the very beginning of her career named Kate Arismendi, who like is now today, like becoming one of the, 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 the most amazing and she deserves it because she's phenomenal. But like we found her at the start of her career, just like ours. And like, we get to learn a lot of lessons together, uh, which was just phenomenal. And so anyway, yeah, like the stakes get higher and higher. And we had this job. It was the largest job we had ever had. And I think it was about $300,000 being committed to production. And we were renting, uh, I think it was a, like a McLaren F1, a bunch of antique cars. We had a... Uh, cool a true film car uh, with like a crew with a, with a, with a rig hanging over it and just getting these amazing shots. And we were shutting down highway one in Marin County, like <laughs> beautiful. And I'm like 22 years old going like, what? And I remember being like, wait, you can literally rent cops to enforce for you, but you just have to fill out paperwork and pay them. Like, Oh my gosh, what, what? Uh, and about <laughs> Joel, like about, 12 hours before production where we had committed tens of thousands of dollars, the state of California was like, you need an endorsement or else we're not giving you the, the road to shoot on. An endorsement from, from, from your mom. I mean, what are we talking about? What does that mean? I'm endorsed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you need from me? And so like, here I am. I, yeah, like I'm flying by the seat of my pants here. I don't know what that means. And like, well, it's an insurance term. And it, an endorsement I later find out means like a change to your policy. And the state of California wants a piece of paper that names them covered by your insurance if, if you're going to be able to rent this, this piece of property. 
I am frantically calling all of the random phone numbers on these big pieces of paper. Like, who do I talk to? Barely, just barely, we figure it out. Barely, just barely, we figure it out. But I realize, like, oh my gosh, I almost destroyed not only my career, but I almost was on the hook for big, 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 big dollars. And I, it started making me scratch my head going like, wait, if something bad happens, what happens? <laughs> and this got me very interested in insurance as it relates to the production business. Sure. <laughs> and maybe this is just, yeah. It's amazing what makes us grow up into and what the signs of those badges are. Like, I understand insurance now. I understand tax uh, implications or a payroll process becomes very much part of our, like, graduation totally. process of not and not only that but Lionel leverage forward you, you know what i loved about your your um story was <clears throat> the dp or ad the the more mature person the one that with experience that gave you the opportunity to step into it right because they're basically leveraging their expertise and creating opportunity for you um but you mentioned spielberg and uh you, you know back when i was in my 20s we we created um the dream sequences for Minority mm. Report. So the company I was working for, Imaginary Forces, was hired to do the Minority Report dream sequences. And I wasn't on the set. Uh, my friends um, ended up doing the job. But Spielberg himself has a very much that kind of mentality. You know, they talked about when they arrived at the set, and it's, you know, the set is basically a small city in the middle of a desert somewhere because Spielberg brings a lot right. of people with him when he does a, you know, shoot. And uh, these two 20-something-year-olds who are there to direct the dream sequence or you know, take, take on the actors and tell them where to go and what to do, um, Spielberg kind of looks at them and says, it's your set, go. And, he just, and these you know, 20-somethings are working with you know, the, the world's most premier DPs and actors and if Tom Cruise is there or whatever. And they kind of, I mean, they had directed commercial shoots and whatever before. But this is a very big moment. And I, I love that image because what Spielberg mm. knew, I'm going to imply, but what Spielberg knew is you, you can't break it, man. Like, I'm going to give you an opportunity to possibly make this movie more incredible because you can do something that I can't do. But I'm right here. Like, if it all goes bad, I'll step in. I'll, I'll be the director. I'll take care of it. But I'm giving you the right tools and right people to make something happen. And there is a point in our career where that becomes our responsibility, huh? Like when we get better and we learn more to take what we've retained inside of our experience and give that out to others is, is pretty Absolutely. amazing. And therefore, like insurance policies and those items that we had to overcome come out of our, you know, here we are telling war stories right here of like, people need to know it's okay, or here's some of the details you need to know. Or I would even guess in your software, you've programmed some of those thought processes and checkpoints into place so that people don't have to learn the hard way. You're giving them the cues to, uh, from your life experience to pass it on. And that retained knowledge is really amazing. 100%. I mean, I think software at its best, whether it's wrap book software or just well-designed software anywhere, by using it, you should be better for it. Like, I think that there is this worldview and maybe it's happened because of social media and like algorithmic content bubbles and stuff where I think folks are thinking that, Hey, this software stuff is really being an extractive force in my life. 
Well, I think that that's possibly true in, in some scenarios with software, but the vision of software that I think a guy like Licklider had was no, like, let this be additive. Let this be a tool that enables incredible creativity. And when we create tools for this, it can do exactly what you said. It can make us better. It can bring us through a path. It can bring a, walk us through the critical path and keep us from being distracted by things that just don't work, right? Like the software that we've been building is, is it's serving some really, truly remarkable production companies who then work with our software product managers, and then we build those processes out thoughtfully. Uh, and so the, the vision is like, hey, if I use this tool, it's going to it's going to help me skip the line and get more efficient day one. And uh, it's the like for Wrapbook, it's, it's the product that I wish had existed when I started because it would have just saved us a lot of headache uh, and a lot of stumbling around in the dark and the wilderness. It would have just kind of put us on the right track to getting efficient very early, which ultimately saves us money and time and it reduces risk, you know? Yeah, that's where, that's where I'm almost curious because I, I wonder too, Cameron, I think back, and I think, okay, if I had had that tool, right, to come alongside the technique that, as Tim described it, what it, what's what's possible? Give us a sense, like uh, when when people are in their element and they're able to focus on what their genius is and do their thing, right? Because they've been supported, freed up, what have you, like they're able to show up on the Spielberg set and know that Spielberg's people have the insurance figured out, they have the payroll, they have all the union right. deals, I mean, all that stuff's just figured out. So now you two guys get to do your thing, work your magic, right? What, what, right. Have, you, what have you observed that's possible as, as these kinds of tools support you know, our production method and our businesses? Well, here's a story, right? When we got started at Sprinkle Lab, we did not know not only the insurance side of things, which we then figured out because I dug into it. I got an insurance license, started an insurance agency for filmmakers. But then the second thing was, as you, as your business scales and it grows and you start bringing on these more and more experienced cast and crew members, they start wising you up and saying like, hey, like you are paying me wrong. Like you're, you can't pay me as a 1099 contractor. I'm in a union, man. <laughs> that means you have to pay me as an employee and there's certain rules. And you then start yeah. hearing from wise people who are saying, you know, you can get in a lot of trouble for misclassifying me as a contractor instead of an employee. And look, when you're 19, 20 years old, you have no money anyway. <laughs> you have no children. You have no assets. You're Nothing like, to lose, huh? go ahead, report <laughs> yeah. me. Like, you yeah, take my exactly. Toyota Corolla? In my case, it was a Volvo me? 240, 1991. <laughs> you know, we drove that thing into the ground. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it didn't matter. The stakes were low. But your production company grows to like two, three million dollars a year in revenues. And all of a sudden you think, whoa, this this could be really bad. And then you start digging into that and you go, oh, wow, if I misclassify a worker as a contractor and I get caught, the penalties on this are enormous and you can never get out of it. You can't bankrupt yourself to get payroll fines to go away. Like you literally big time screw up and 
it's going to be very difficult to dig yourself out of it. And like, this was information I didn't know until we were large enough to figure it out. And then, so I was put into a position where it was like, okay, well, how do we solve this? And it was, oh, there's these entertainment payroll companies that exist, big ones that help do this for movies and commercials and all these different types of productions. But you call them up, at least in our case, when we were a small company, and it's like, you are at the very bottom of their service level, <laughs> you know, like, if at all. If at all. <laughs> And it's costly, isn't it? All of a sudden you're like, I need to increase my budgets in order to get their fees through the process. Cause I, yeah, the, all my profit went to them. Yeah, totally. So I, all of a sudden I realized like, okay, I'm competing with people to try to make it in this business and I'm discounting my prices by like 30% to try to break in. And then you get large enough and you realize, whoa, payroll is going to add 23% of additional cost on doing this appropriately. And then they send you a big box of paper or a big user manual saying like, hey, here's how to do this. And then it takes two hours how to figure it out on your shoot day where you only have 10 hours to shoot anyways. So what I found as a producer trying to figure this out was, okay, not only was the cost in terms of dollars annoying, okay, fine, it's annoying, but I can deal with that. The cost of doing this on a shoot day, that was where it was expensive. That was where it was too much of a burden. And that was when I was just like, there has got to be a better way than this. There has got to be where, you know, I'd been spending my career and my, my, my kind of early formative years in Silicon Valley thinking like, where is the Silicon Valley technology company to fix this? Where is it? Ultimately, you know, serendipity turned out to be that I'd be a, a part of that story. But um, yeah, that's why I say it's the tool I wish we had when I was building my production company. Isn't it the, uh, it's the death by a thousand cuts type of a situation that you, you find yourself in. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I don't, Tim, I don't, I don't think you were on this call, but Cameron, as you were getting to know each other and you were showing me some of the underlying technology that Rapbook uses, I can remember you were building a bid or, you know, sort of creating the, a project and you were like, okay, I got this contractor and he's based in Alabama. This one's, you know, invoicing me from Oregon and the union laws there say this and the tax rate in, uh, for this person, you know, for New York is very different. And I'm like, wait, 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 this is, I'm not entering all this stuff. And it, you were saying, no, it references all the latest tables and whatever, all those stuff out there. And that was the moment that I realized, wait a minute. So I can really focus on if I'm a producer, which I'm not, but if I'm, if I'm building that job, it's like, okay, I can really focus on what I do best, which is resourcing, right? I mean, Tim, this is what we, we are helping producers master this part of the process, but they don't necessarily have to be masters at the legal minutia. And did I enter the scale right for this contractor? You know, like it, it's just, these are all items that have to be satisfied legally and uh, financially, but you really want the producer to be able to focus on what the producer does best. And that's when I thought, wow, this is, like you said, I wish I had this back in my day. It would have been a, it would have been a big game changer. 
Absolutely. Like there's this almost like hierarchy of needs for a great production company or like mm. the stories we've been telling. It's like, okay, you start out, you have nothing. You got to go get the DSLR. And then like you get bigger and you got to figure out insurance. And then you get a little bit bigger and you realize, whoa, I need to pay people compliantly. You get a little bit bigger from there and you go, whoa, now a good percentage of my cast and crew are unionized. And there's this whole ball of yarn of complexity around that. Like, what are we going to do? And Again, Rapbook is trying and doing something that the industry has been demanding for a long time, which is obliterating that complexity through having a software deal with it for you. So like, here's something random for you. There's something called a hyphenate driver. This is a, a worker on a set who is both a member of the Teamsters and the IATSE. So when they're driving to or from set, like they have a lot of the, the rules uh, and rights and benefits as a Teamster. But there's a difference between the Teamster and the IATSE contract uh, for when that driver then gets out of their truck and then starts working as like a set decorator, for example. Which contract do you apply to that driver if they go into OT? And how much more do you pay them? There are very specific rules on this. Hyphenated drivers get paid a little bit more. And the IATSE contract will, the, which is the more preferable contract in their case, defaults to them. Like that's a rule, like at least as I know it in applying on the commercial side of things. So like, how do you know that? How do you learn that? How do you possibly keep track of that? Plus Coogan accounts, nine nines and W2s. And, and was it a travel day? Did they leave the 30 miles out in Los Angeles? Are they working in the Northeast corridor? Which local are they a part of? What's the scale rate? Like the complexity explodes and there are brilliant, phenomenal producers who have this information in their heads, but even they can lose track of it because you're doing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cast and crew who are all starting and breaking at different times during a production over days or weeks or months. And the complexity is, is outrageous. And so by building in automations and rules to the software, you can accelerate anyone's opportunity to get their stories out into the world and not only can you save, like this, these services exist today, right? They do exist, but they're very manual and they're not as fast as building a kind of contemporary technology company to serve these needs. And so like, that's really our vision is, can we speed it up? Can we save money? Can we build a 10X better product than what exists in the market today? Like that's what we're doing at Rapbook. Yeah. The, what exists in the market today is very reactionary, right? And so you'll learn these lessons, but you learn it after the fact, which means you lost time or budget in order to figure it out afterwards. You're, you or worse, or worse, it, the with government your process, it's very, you know, and, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, a, definitely a big education, right? You're going to talk about public, edu public education. That's right. how you learn really fast. The IRS will teach you. But if you can be proactive to the process, even though you didn't know it, the minute you can engage research is what your software is doing, doing research on behalf of people, they can plan as part of the planning process, what these additional costs are, or having one crew member instead of a different crew member, or a location shoot or different contracts necessary, different insurance policies necessary. Now they're proactively making the decisions. So when they finally deliver, they did deliver on time on budget because they had the research done, instead of finding out after the fact, and maybe having a very awkward relationship with your client, or at least an awkward relationship with your bank, trying to figure out how do we get through this now, you know, horrible moment that we're paying the price Absolutely. for. It. So 
I, I love the the rap book MO because it's coming from this core of understanding of what it means to be a producer and then trying to solve problems that, you know, solve problems, get research out there so people can make the right decisions and see that project unfold. And again, what I love is the idea of getting back to being a creative producer. If I have the right tools in place and I understand the direction we want to go with, with the production we're, we're doing, I can help unfold that through the decisions and the engagements and the deals that I'm making as a producer, put that into that software and guaranteeing success. You know, there's a lot of freedom now happening because you've done some of the heavy lifting for a producer, and then we can get out there and do what we love. 1000%. And like, and this is, by the way, there's a revolution happening, not just in this industry, in many industries where software is speeding up our civilization's opportunity to be creative and to build value and to help each other. Like there are so many headlines and there are so many things that go wrong in this world, but there are things that are going right. And we happen to live at a very prosperous and lucky moment in time. And I think it's our responsibility as adults to accelerate the good stuff and to be helpers. Like life is brutal and it's full of suffering, but when we can come together and work collaboratively and build great tools, we actually do get to do the very good work of building a civilization that works for more and more people. The world is far from perfect, but I think software, having a deep desire to do good does make the world better. And like, maybe that's too lofty and maybe crazy for me to say, like, I'm just making payroll software, but I know I'm just making payroll software and just making, but it's a little tiny corner that I can try to make better. And I hope all of us can try to make our little corners better, you know? Man. I think that's really, I, I am like 100% behind that vision. And sure, it sounds lofty, but I will say, I will agree in that, you know, Tim and I spend our time helping the creative entrepreneurs, like help unleash what they have and what they need to bring to the world. And you're right, it is one piece at a time. But there are these people that have these stories to tell, they need to be told, they need to get out there and be unleashed and you're providing part of the solution that enables that. So we, we applaud that hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Cameron. I, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, that is one of the things like there's any producer knows, like you can find lots of different little fascinating areas of your production, whether that's in your production company or in your production itself, and you can get lost in the details and explore infinite complexity, whether it's in the insurance or whether it's in the lenses or whether it's in the light, like it, it's, it's unbelievably complex. That's just on the production craft side, then go into the, like there's complexity everywhere. But at the end of the day, if we can remove the tedious complexity, can we accelerate the access for the types of tools that historically were just very expensive to actually democratize access to storytelling and production like creation for the world because cinema historically has been this incredible empathic engine for the world it's this mechanism for us to understand each other and to explore ideas and if we can accelerate the marketplace of creative ideas i think we're going to build a more interesting world to live in and so like <clears throat> 
that's for me the vision is like democratize access to great tools for creative people and uh and just keep chipping away at that well thanks for joining us that's that's a i think that's an awesome note on which we can uh wrap it up and say thank you cameron for being our guest awesome yeah thanks so, so much for having me cameron it's been a pleasure and uh, tell some good war stories i appreciate uh the background it's Sometimes we have to put our voice forward as producers. Well, you know, the creative gets a lot of credit as necessary. We get to see the results of that, those pixels on the screen. But the producers really are some of the creative magic behind the scenes. And there's a lot of different decisions they make. So thanks for giving us a chance to hear those stories with you. My pleasure. 